0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 1030, or 12 noon. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Crazy people are everywhere. (laughs) You can just look around the room if you doubt this. There are actually people out there who will put everything that they have into one little basket, even though they know that you should not put all of your eggs in one basket. There are people... Who will wear orange when everyone else is saying wear black? Did you know that there are people who, even though they have a bird in the hand, will let it go to pursue two in the bush? bush Because they simply seem to march to the sound of a different drummer. Apple captured this idea in a series of ads, their silhouette dancing ads, everybody puts their headphones in uh, their ears and they dance however they want to, whatever it is they're listening to. In fact, on YouTube you can find a whole lot of these people dancing in public with, with ear, earphones on, which is hilarious. Because all the people around them don't hear any music. And so all of these people are just doing their thing out in public, like, you know, in the subway stations or in Times Square. And it's really quite funny because people are all looking like, you're you're just weird, like, because they don't hear the music. In fact, there's even this thing called silent clubbing, which was totally new to me. I don't know, Has anyone actually done silent clubbing here? We're all so lame. So anyway, silent clubbing, for those that maybe haven't even heard about it, silent clubbing is... Uh, this phenomena where you put on these headphones and you can hear what a whole lot of other people are hearing, but the people around you don't hear anything. So, it, so of course, if you're watching a silent club like this, there is. this is what you would see. There's no music, but all of them are just out wherever they are dancing. But if you're watching this, all you hear is like the shuffling and scraping of feet and so it is the most bizarro kind of experience. I've even even heard that you can have different DJs at some of these clubs, so you could literally be listening to different music than the people that you're on the dance floor dancing with, which is something I would love to see. You know, this guy, you know, going crazy with like 70s disco, and this guy doing like a country line dance, and they're trying to like dance together. I just want to see how all of that actually works, because this to me, it just seems like it just seems like craziness. And now there are people all over the world who claim to talk to God and to hear from God, and they say that this actually happens repeatedly in their lives. It's sort of like they're listening to another voice, and it it's often a quiet voice, but somehow that quiet voice becomes louder than all of the other voices in their lives. Thing is, the followers of Christ are often pretty crazy people. Unless, of course, we've been domesticated by the stultifying clamoring of the world. But crazy is really our thing. And one of the craziest things that Christians do is they they have a dialogue with God. I mean, they really actually believe that they are in an ongoing conversation with the all-powerful creator of the universe. They talk to him throughout the day. They say they hear from him. They believe that he guides them, that he encourages them. Christians throughout the ages and around the world persist in their assertion that they can actually do things because of what they have heard from God. Things that they maybe never dreamed possible, but they can because they've heard from God. They turn around and they save their marriages. They learn patience when dealing with difficult kids. I know students that are able to put up with their irritating parents and they say, well, it's because of the work that God is doing in my heart. It's what I've learned from him. We know people who give up lucrative jobs. They decide to make less money so that they might live for God more fully. People who are learning to love the unlovable. Those who are saying, I've actually grown in my ability to forgive the jerks all around me. And I got lots to practice. People that give away significant significant amounts of money because there are people in the world who simply don't know God and they find that intolerable. And so they're going to use their resources to make sure that that happens or to alleviate the suffering of a person they'll never meet. These are crazy things. Christians will, will regularly talk about how they experience a transcendence in their souls. And they'll marvel at how their whole series of sinful decisions that they have, they have made in their past and, and continue to wrestle with to this day are giving way to new holy disciplines. It's crazy. It's as if they're dancing to music that no one else hears. Now, of course, many Christians never experience these things. There are many people all over the place, Christians and spiritual sojourners who don't yet know Jesus. They wonder if there's a God even out there. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God's out there, that he's listening and certainly not that he can communicate with us. Now, I'm not talking about an apologetic argument here. I'm not trying to say, you know, let's talk about the existence of God and all of that. That's a great conversation. We've had other messages on it. We'll do other messages on it. If that's your issue, I'd love to talk to you about it, but that's not what this morning is about. I'm here talking to those of you who want to communicate with God, but feel like they never actually hear anything from him. That's what this whole series is about. We're in week three of the series, and we're learning how it is that we can hear from God. Now, by way of review, we started on Easter, and we saw that we're not only invited to talk with God, but to hear from God, and that that invitation happens in large part because of the work that Jesus did and the resurrection. Now, this whole series is going to help us with the reason we don't hear from God, primarily, which is we have a hearing problem. So we're going to be helping each of us develop our hearing. So let's open in a Bible to John chapter 10, verse 3. John 10, 3. And we're going to be starting with the promise that somehow we actually get to hear from God. Jesus here is teaching, and he gets into an extended metaphor about the shepherd and his sheep. We're going to jump in and out of a few different verses. John 10, verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own, that's a key phrase there, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Over to verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So somehow we hear the voice of Jesus. So what, do we, what can we learn from these sheep? Jesus talks to them. Now I don't know if this is sort of like us talking to our dogs Like, I don't know how this whole thing works, but he's talking to the sheep, and we're talking to our dogs, and we talk in English, and they seem to understand some of what we say, and then they miss a whole lot of other, and I'm not saying that we're his pets or anything like that, I'm just saying there's some sort of comparable relationship with how we can communicate, because the sheep, they don't know the grammar or the syntax, and they have very limited understanding of even the vocabulary, but they know his voice. So they can still actually communicate there's something going on, even though, you know, he's a world away and and different from us in so many incredible ways as the son of God. But yet, somehow, this shepherd communicates with us to to the extent that we can know his voice. That's what it tells us. We will know his voice. Now, of course, there's going to be some translation issues that will go on in this. There's no doubt about that. But he also tells us in verse 3 that he knows our name, which I really love because it's not like Jesus is speaking to his flock, like he's just sort of yelling generically out to the whole flock and telling him to come. It's not like he doesn't know them as a sheep. He, He knows them individually, like he sees each sheep and he's like, that's Alex the sheep. Like I don't know what you name sheep, but if you name if you name it out, he's like he knows that that one. That means he knows it by name. He knows it individually. There's a personal side to this relationship that the scriptures continually talk about. And he also tells us in verse five that we will eventually learn to discern between God's voice and the voice of the enemy is another fascinating thing you see it's almost as if somehow in the course of walking with Jesus that one day we will hear a voice and we will say whoa, whoa, whoa wait not a literal voice but we will we'll be led to something and we'll be hearing something and we'll be wanting to do something and we'll go that doesn't seem right Something with that is wrong. And and most Christians I know can tell you that they have had that experience. They will say, something just was wrong in my soul. Somehow they're starting to hear the voice of Jesus and being able to discern it from the voice of the enemy. And then he tells us the sheep will actually follow the shepherd wherever he leads, which is really good news because we know where the shepherd leads us. Think of Psalm 23 or other places. He's leading us into safety and into relationship. He lets us know where the good food is. He brings us to the place of rest. He gets us through the dark valley. And he does this by graciously, gently leading us in love as a shepherd would lead his flock. Now listen, no doubt, every once in a while, there is going to be some sort of miscommunication. There will be some sheep that misses the point, especially when they're younger. You can imagine a lamb. He's not going to be born. You're going to have a little baby. He's not going to know the protocol. He's not going to know. He's going to learn it from the other sheep. He's going to learn it over his interactions with the shepherd. It'll take some time, but it will happen. That's the promise that Jesus makes to us in this extended metaphor. And all of this kind of relationship is made possible because Jesus gave his life for us. He even mentions that. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to actually be willing to die for them. And the Bible tells us in so many other ways and places that we actually ought not to be able to approach God, that he is an awesome and holy and powerful God. And we are a broken and rebellious and sinful people. And that if the two were ever to meet, God's wrath would lash out against us and destroy us, which interestingly, most all of the world religions seem to know instinctively. Even most people I meet sort of know this instinctively. Many of the, uh, of the faiths in the world, many religions, in, in, in even in tribal areas, speak about appeasing the gods, See, they know that there's something wrong in our relationship with God, and almost all people over the face of the planet for all of time have known that something is wrong in our relationship with God. They talk about how many of our faiths in the world are are fear-based or guilt-based. Of course they are, because in our soul we know something is wrong. And so we create these structures and these systems that tell us that we actually can't approach this God. We can't draw near to him because he's actually dangerous to us because of his incredible holiness and purity. It's also why we keep God at a distance, why some faiths say, no, 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 there is no personal God. We don't want a personal God that you can get angry. We want an impersonal God who's sort of a spirit force. We want to be spiritual, but we don't want a relationship because if if we're spiritual, then we're not held accountable. And so we try to create a new type of thinking about God that robs us of the personal relationship because we want it, we want to be able to draw near to him, but we fear it because we know we're not worthy. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, but that's actually why I died for your sins, so that the wrath of God was exhausted in me. So that we no longer have to fear and that we can actually now come with boldness and confidence. He even tells us this in Hebrews chapter 10. The scriptures tell us, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's the sacrifice of Christ, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. With, sincere, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We no longer have to fear entering the presence of God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And this is incredibly good news because now we get to hear the voice of Jesus. We get to draw near to God and we can expect to hear from God. Now, before looking at ways that God, that we can actually hear from God and be with God, and how God actually communicates with us, before looking at that, we want to look at how God rarely communicates with us. This is from a great writer, brilliant writer named Dallas Willard. Uh, I gleaned some of these ideas, but these are misunderstandings about how God communicates, all right? So keep in mind this section, not what I'm promoting. All right. Message a minute. Message a minute. Sometimes you will meet people and they will act like God is constantly talking to them. They'll, they'll, the way they kind of phrase it, you know, they'll be like, well, God told me this, or God told me that, or God told me this, and hey, how are you doing today? Well, God told me this is going to be a really good day. They're like, wow, that's neat, like, he seems to be constantly, yeah, it's, oh, it's almost lunch, God told me, it's time for lunch, I'm going to have the turkey sandwich, God told me, and so they, like, they kind of do this thing where they make it sound like, when you're listening to them, you're like, wow, these people are, like, either really super spiritual, and they usually kind of want you to, feel that, like it's sort of the reason they're telling you all the reason that, you know, the the ways that God is talking to them, because they're kind of developing this mystique that they're really super spiritual and really connected. Here's the thing, whenever I hear this kind of thing that like God's like constantly telling them something, I'm like, wow, you know, that's weird, because that's how I treat a toddler. You see, if God were actually communicating like that to you, he would be working against your maturity, because that's not how we would, that's not how we would raise our kids. Could you imagine when you have a little toddler and you're like, "Hey, listen, don't do that. don't touch that. Hey, watch out for that. Be careful about that. Step on there, get off, Get out of the road, please come back on the sidewalk. put your helmet on. This is the con- you're going to be constantly doing that with a toddler. When they grow up, you imagine doing that when they're 19? Some are like, actually, I still do that. You're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be letting them go growing up. No more helicopter parenting. We're supposed to actually be letting them come into full maturity. And that means that we actually need to step back and allow them to continue to develop as individuals. And that's what God is looking for. He is creating these incredible, well-thought-out, mature, well-grounded individuals who will love him through an act of their own will and desire. He doesn't want people that he's going to have to lead like a little programmed robot. You know, people have this sort of an idea, but I really think it's mostly in our own minds. And we're just attributing the thoughts that happen to be popping into our head to God. So I'm very skeptical. Another Misunderstanding is that it's all in the Bible now Trevor spoke last week about the importance of the Bible and I want to reiterate that because there is simply no better way to learn about God and hear from God than the Bible but we really do have to expect that it's not going to be flipping through the Bible and getting the exact decision that we need to make for this particular circumstance. What we're really talking about is learning the principles of the Bible and using them to make our decisions rather than expecting direct guidance about specific decisions. Now, you read some of the great saints from the church and you'll always find some story, right? There will always be some story about a guy who, you know, the Bible opened up and he heard one thing and it like changed the whole trajectory of his life. And, And this does It does happen, okay, that like, you know, a specific decision could be made. I actually have my own experience with this. So it was uh, right after I graduated uh, my undergraduate from business school, and I had some money, and I said, you know, I want to be just ridiculously wealthy, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my little money, I'm going to invest it, but I don't know where to invest it. I said, God, where do I invest it? So I decided to just flip through the Bible, and, you know, I just closed my eyes, and I just dropped my finger down on the word oil. So I did. I invested all that money in oil, and immediately oil prices just started skyrocketing. It was incredible. Oil futures were going crazy, and I said, this was incredible. So I took all of my incredible wealth now that I had, and I invested all of those piles and piles of money. I said, I want to reinvest it, but I don't, want to, I don't know what to do, and I, I, have to, I need God's guidance here. And So you know, I flipped through the Bible. I let the wind blow a couple pages back, and I closed my eyes. I dropped my finger on the word gold. So I took all that oil money, I invested it in gold. It was incredible. Gold prices immediately started skyrocketing right after I invested. This was really fascinating stuff for me. So I said, you know what, just one more time, because then I could be so fabulously wealthy. I'll never have to worry about money ever again in my whole life. I took all of those giant bags of money, and I said, God, one more time. And I just flipped the pages, and I flipped the page, and the wind blew, and all this. I shook the Bible. I closed my eyes. Chapter 11. And that was it. (laughs) All the wealth, it was gone. True story. I think this is really a Christianized form of superstition. And I think it needs to be treated with extreme skepticism by maturing followers of Jesus. Listen, Jesus, God can do anything he wants to communicate with us. And he will even condescend to giving us actual decisions in in these kinds of ways. I'm just saying that way, way, way more often, like every day, it's the principles of the Bible that will guide us. That's how I'm led every day. I make decisions based on what I've learned through how God has interacted with his people throughout history. And I do think that God speaks to me through his word. And I think it happens every day. Must be God's will. That is a third misunderstanding. And this is kind of the idea that whatever happens was clearly what God wanted to happen. And it's phrased in a whole lot of different ways. And it's often even kind of subtle. And it feels really spiritual because it's sort of a let go and let God sort of an attitude. And so it it can be very appealing but whatever happens is happening to me and around me because it's, it's God's will. And I just think that is, it's simply not true. I think there are all sorts of things that are happening all around us all the time that are not God's will. You know, you get an example. So a guy tells you, you know, I, I lost my job. I guess it's God's will. Well, I mean, that's possible. Or maybe you should have stopped coming in late and dressing like a slob and surfing the internet all day. It could be that. That's another possibility. You know, I don't understand. You know, I guess I thought we had something special, but we we broke up. She dumped me. I guess it's God's will. Well, or maybe you should have stopped checking out her friends, you know, or remembered her birthday maybe. You know, it could be that. There's, There's always that possibility. And it's true that God is certainly letting these things happen to us. But that doesn't mean that he wants it to. Just because something happens to us, it doesn't even mean that we're getting the right message out of it. Something might happen to you and you might be like, well, I guess this is what God's going to have to do and this is what he's teaching me. It's like, well, make sure you even know what he's teaching you because there's a whole lot of other lessons that could be coming out of this. But you're so locked in on the way that you expect or you needed it to go. It takes discernment. When people say this, they have this sort of an idea. It makes me very, very nervous because we just seem to put everything on God and we shift all blame, all responsibility to him. We want to own none of it. Now, those are some of the ways that God doesn't communicate with us. So how does God communicate? And I think one of the most overlooked ways is through our own desires. God communicates, of course, in many, many different ways. But take a look at Psalm 37. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. And this idea that you can take delight in God and that you will get the desires of your heart is a governing principle in many of these kinds of decisions that we can make because God uses our desires to lead us now when I was growing up I was raised Catholic and then I spent a whole lot of years in kind of a strict Pentecostal background and no one I can't remember anyone actually saying this but somewhere along the way I got the idea that if I was enjoying something it was probably wrong I don't know if you've experienced this in in the way that you were raised in your spiritual upbringing, but if I desired something, it was probably lust. And if you wanted something, it was probably covetousness. You know, in short, if you take pleasure in it, it's probably sin. And this just simply isn't a biblical idea. God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. And somehow all of the good God honoring delights became suspect and we used to feel like if God called you, you know, into doing something, that it had to hurt. It was going to be miserable, and it was going to be suffering. But what if that's not the case? This is a famous TED uh, Talk video uh, that some of you may have seen.
1: Uh, it's really prompted by a conversation I had with a wonderful woman who may, most people have never heard of. She's called Jillian Lynn. Have you heard of her? Some have. She's a choreographer, and everybody knows her work. She did Cats and Phantom of the Opera. She's wonderful. I used to be on the board of the Royal Ballet in England, as you can see. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, Gillian and I had lunch one day. I said, how did you get to be a dancer? And She said it was interesting. When she was at school, she was really hopeless. And the school in the 30s wrote to her parents and said, we think Gillian has a learning disorder. She couldn't concentrate. She was fidgeting. I think now they'd say she had ADHD. Wouldn't you? But this was the 1930s and ADHD hadn't been invented you know, at this point. So." It, <laughs> wasn't an available condition, you know, people people, people weren't aware they could have that. Anyway, she sent, went to see this, um, this specialist. So this oak-panelled room, and, and she was there with, uh, with her mother, and she was led and sat on this uh, chair at the end, and she sat on her hands for 20 minutes while this man talked to her mother about all the problems Gillian was having at school. And at the end of it, um, because she was disturbing, people, her homework was always late, and so on, a little kid of eight, In the end, uh, the the doctor went and sat next to Julian and said, "Julian, I've listened to all these things that your mother's told me. I need to speak to her privately. So he said, wait here, we'll be back, we won't be very long. And uh, and they went and left her. But as they went out of the room, he turned on the radio that was sitting on his desk. And when they got out of the room, he said to her mother, just stand and watch her. And um, the minute they left the room, she said she was on her feet, moving to the music. And they watched for a few minutes, and he turned to her mother, and he said, you know, Mrs. Lynn, Gillian isn't sick. She's a dancer. <laughs> Take her to a dance school. I said, what happened? I said, she did. I can't tell you said, how wonderful it was. We walked in this room, and it was full of people like me. People who couldn't sit still. People who had to move to think. Who had to move to think. They did ballet, they did tap, they did jazz, they did modern, they did contemporary. She was eventually auditioned for the Royal Ballet School. She became a soloist. she had a wonderful career at the Royal Ballet. She eventually graduated from the Royal Ballet School, found her own company, the Gillian Dance Company, met Andrew Lloyd Webber, she's been responsible for some of the most successful musical theatre productions in history, she's given pleasure to millions, and she's a multi-millionaire. Somebody else might have put her on medication and told her to calm down.
0: See, you are unique in the world. You're unique. And God gave you desires and he made you a certain way and you have passions that matter. And God may very well be leading and guiding you through your desires. And we don't have to fear that. We don't have to run away from that. We can actually follow our dreams. We can follow our deepest longings. We can resist the pressure to be normal. And we can be just a little crazy in this world because your desires can lead you or they can mislead you. And this is where it really becomes important for us because we have to develop the discernment that is only going to be found in a relationship with God. Our desires can be purified and that is so important. They need to be purified and they'll be purified through a relationship with God. They'll be purified through a community of faith, a spiritual family. They'll be purified by the principles that are found in the Bible. And you can let your desires be transformed by Jesus. And you can imagine how spectacular this will be. You know, how is it that God can give you the desires of your heart? Well, if your desires are twisted, if they're turned in on themselves, then He can't give you the desires of your heart. He would be giving you something that would destroy your soul. So how is it that God can give you the desires of your, he can give it to you when you continue to walk with him and he purifies those desires so that your longings and your desires become exactly God's best plan for you. And those desires can now then be increasingly trusted as God's plan for you. And this is an incredible gift because we now get to enter into the beauty and the the uniqueness and the passion that God desires us to have in Him and in this world. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to pray as they get ready to lead us in a song and bring us to the Lord's table. I'm going to ask uh, that you would just join me in a word of prayer as we ask that God would do uh, this and so much more in our lives. Could you stand as we pray? Father, we're just asking that you would do something here in our midst. Lord, we have come from very many different backgrounds and we've heard different kinds of ideas like these. But we often move away from the things that we thoroughly enjoy and delight in because, Lord, we, we, we're nervous I'm praying, Lord, that you would meet us here and begin a work of, and continue a work of purifying our desires. Fill us, Lord, uh, with the power of your presence. Let us begin to hear you with increasing clarity through the way that you've made us, the uniqueness that you have put in each and every one of our souls. We thank you for that gift. We pray in Christ's name, amen.